0: Our second lesson comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and in Corinth is really the economic center of the Mediterranean. It is prosperous, it is academic, it is a melting pot. It is a place where the Corinth church is actually having kind of a hard time figuring out how to live in amongst this city. And so it's into that that Paul writes this letter, encouraging them and offering them guidance. So listen for a word from God from 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 23. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast about people, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our stronghold and our steadfast love. Pray this all in your name. Amen. I cannot help but read this passage and not think of the archetype and literature and stories and movies of the wise fool. The wise fool is always someone who comes from this lower societal position, someone who's unencumbered by societal norms, yet they're able to speak truth to power. They're free from embarrassment and cultural faux pas, and so social boundaries can't hold them, and they're able to speak a truth that no one else seems to be able to see. They're considered foolish by many, but they point out wisdom to the strong. These characters show up all the time in literature. One of them you may remember if uh, you remember your Shakespeare, which most of us don't. I didn't, I had to look it up. In Shakespeare's King Lear, you have the court jester, who again is foolish. He's off the wall, yet he's the only one that can speak to the coming destruction of King Lear who refuses to heed his warning. Or if, like me, you searched out the smallest classic in high school to read for your book report and you read Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, you may remember that Lenny, who is cognitively slower, points out to his friend that the ranch is a terrible place to be and they should leave, but no one listens to him and destruction ensues. Or if you are a Harry Potter fan, you have Luna Lovegood, who is unencumbered by all the rules of teenage angst and lives in her own way. And it's through that she earns the nickname of Loony Luna. Yet it is through her pure belief that she helps lead Harry, the main character, to salvation, to where he needs to be. And those are great examples, but a real-life example as taught to us by Kathy this morning has to be Fred Rogers of PBS's Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. A few years ago, there were quite a few movies and documentaries that came out that purported and showed the good, kind man that he was. And if we only focus on those, we may forget that his whole career was a battle for legitimacy, His whole career was plagued by those who were confused and they put down and made fun of what he was doing. His show primarily consisted of bad lighting and homemade puppets. You can see why there was a lot to make fun of. Yet he had the audacity to suggest that maybe we should look through the eyes of children and behold the world in which they see His very personality of love, acceptance, kindness, and gentleness flew in the face of masculine norms of the day. What he was doing was considered by many in the world as foolishness. Yet he brought wisdom to so many. Fred Rogers chose to embrace this world considered foolishness because he knew where his identity lied, which was in being a beloved child of Christ, and so he embraced the foolishness to speak truth into the lives of children and adults, the truth that each one of you is a beloved child of God, the truth that each one of you are loved exactly as you are. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister, ordained to the position of evangelism, And he taught and he lived out that each person was a temple of God. Each person belonged to Christ. Each person was loved through the grace of God exactly as they were. And he did it through gentleness and love. One of my favorite anecdotes about Rogers comes from a journalist who spent over a year with him. And the journalist writes about a boy who had cerebral palsy and the boy in his illness hated himself. He hated the look of himself in the mirror and he told his mother often that he no longer wished to live. He was sure that God did not love him because he didn't even love himself. Yet one of the few places the boy found joy was in watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And one day, through a series of events, he got the chance to meet Mr. Rogers in the flesh in his own home. And so the day came, and and Fred Rogers walks in, and the boy is so overcome with emotions, he doesn't know how to handle them and he begins to hit himself and to harm himself, and he has to be taken into the back room. And the parents explain to Fred that it's going to be a while before the boy is ready. Maybe he may have to move on to his next meeting. And he says, no, I'll, I'll wait here. And so he waits for the boy to come out, and they begin to talk. And Roger's asking questions, and he answers And there becomes a silence, and Fred Rogers asks the little boy if he would do something for him. He says, says, "Will will you do something for me? And the boy replied, anything. He would do anything for his hero. And Rogers asked the boy if he would pray for him, if he would say a prayer for Mr. Rogers. And the boy was shocked because he had always been the object of prayer. He had never been asked to give a prayer for another. And the journalist who witnessed this was just overcome and sure of his own psychological expertise told Mr. Rogers later what a brilliant move it was because what he had done was given the boy power. Really, the prayer was still for the boy. It wasn't for Mr. Rogers. It was to give him autonomy. And Fred looked at the journalist, his friend, and he said, Oh, Tom, heavens no. I didn't ask him for his prayers for him. I asked him for his prayers for me. Because I think anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. And I really need his prayers. What a beautiful story that is. Just an, overwhelming story. I feel tears well up every time I tell it and hear it, and I have to admit that I kind of hate it because I identify with the journalist in the story. If I look at the story and I have to identify with one person, it's the journalist. I'm the one who's so sure of myself elbowing Fred Rogers, being like, clever move. That was smart. But that's the world's wisdom, It's ignoring what God has called us to do, which is just to love and to receive, to give compassion. Rogers knew that wisdom, a wisdom that says the weak are powerful in the Lord's eyes. The wisdom that says compassion and love change both the giver and the receiver. The wisdom that says that those who have experienced pain Know God's love. Friends, I know that each one of you is brilliant. And I know there's this temptation to align ourselves with what the world is calling us to do, with what the world is considered wise. We want to feel validated by society, by our friends. We want our positions to be respected. Yet we must, in this season of Lent reflect at what cost do we pursue these things? Are we willing to abandon bringing love, joy, peace, and patience into the world so we can feel validated? Are we willing to look foolish to communicate the love of God? Are we willing to look foolish to further that special kingdom of God here on earth? And because Lent is a time of confession, I will confess to each one of you that I don't like to look foolish. I don't like it at all. It feels embarrassing, and I don't want to. I rarely speak unless I have a prepared answer, a firm grasp on the subject in which it's being discussed. I prefer to have complete and utter control. The reporter's comments is exactly my line of thinking Way to fake humility, Fred, so that you could lift this boy up. I think I'd fit in well with this Corinth church that Paul is writing to. But let us let this scripture convict our hearts. Let's not be clever for clever's sake, intelligent in order to lift ourselves up and put others down, competitive in an attempt to raise ourselves and lay others flat. Let us begin today sharing the love of God, unafraid of our own appearance, but just bringing God's kingdom into the world. And so if you will indulge me, I'd like to put this into practice, to speak truth into each one of your lives, and I pray that you'll hold on to it. And I do it without my guise of irony or the shield of eloquence because this is what I want you to know. I want you all to know that you belong here in the presence of God. That whatever pain and difficulty that you have experienced in the past, that God has been present in that. That in the words of Mr. Rogers, God loves you just the way that you are. That your validity and your worth is not just in your jobs, or your status, or what you do. But your worth is in being a beloved child of God. You are God's temple, and God's spirit is within you. You belong to Jesus Christ, and his grace covers you. And God has called you in whatever facets to go out into the world and spread the love of God free from embarrassment, free from shame, and in complete and utter foolishness. Thanks be to God for this. Amen.